Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of media and entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, business editor for Variety. Today, my guests are Ariel Horn and Ben Cusen, co-founders and co-CEOs of Venn. V-E-N-N is an acronym that stands for Video Game and Entertainment News Network. Venn would seem to be swimming against the tide of media today as a 24-7 live streaming channel that is advertising supported. Horn and Cusin see a big white space for TV content that targets millennials and Gen Z, the demographics that have never known a world without gaming. They also see big opportunity for a streaming network that can syndicate content on a number of platforms, such as Twitch and YouTube. The two have big plans for creating up to 50 hours a week of original content, all paid for by sponsor dollars. All of those things sound like kryptonite for the on-demand generation, but Horn and Cusin see things differently, as they explain here. Ariel Horn and Ben Cusin co-founders and co-CEOs of Venn, a new video game entertainment and lifestyle network coming soon to a platform near you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Excited to be here. So I'm going to start up straight up. I'm not a gamer. I I can probably measure the amount of time in my life that I've spent playing video games if telephone solitaire doesn't count. Probably measure it in hours not days or weeks. Um, so tell me, for a layperson, tell me, give me the elevator pitch for Venn, the video game entertainment news network. It, sure. is a surprise, sorry, it is a surprise to me to see that something, that content like this would be launching in a live linear fashion. That seems a little counterintuitive. Tell, tell me about your venture. Sure. And by the way, if telephone solitaire counts, my parents are the biggest gamers on earth. So <laughs> just, just giving you that a heads up there. So yeah, um, Ariel and I are both co-founders, co-CEO. We, we've both been in this business a long time and, and kind of concurrently saw the same opportunity, both across linear TV, VOD, and, and more about the demographics at large. So to, to kind of take this from a big 50,000 foot view down to a little bit of the micro, Gaming is huge. It's, it's bigger than arguably all sports and entertainment combined. $150 billion this year, trending toward a $300 billion a year industry in a few years. So by any metric, whether it's dollars or consumer engagement, um, it, it's a real thing. And by consumer engagement, to give you a sense, 300 million people every single day go on YouTube to watch gaming video content. And that ranges from people playing video games to learning about video games to entertainment properties around video games or esports. So uh, to say this category is, is nothing short of a powerhouse uh, would be an understatement. And really, this is an elusive audience as far as television networks and marketers are concerned. It is very hard to reach Gen Z and millennial uh, in the current TV landscape. Um, and people are trying, but at the end of the day, there is no network that's dedicated to content for, for this generation. And when you step back and look at the generation, nine out of 10 Gen Z play video games regularly. So when you say like, are you a gamer? That'd be akin to asking, um, you know, a young Gen Z or, or a millennial kid, we can affectionately call them to say, you know, Hey, do, are you a music listener or are you a dinner eater? The reality is, is, is this is something that's all they know. The question would really be is like, what game are you referring to? Is it Animal Crossing? Is it League of Legends? Is it Call of Duty? 
Um, so once you recognize the scale of engagement, you really think about, okay, we know it's big, but how can we help cater an opportunity to this environment and create real engagement? So you've got the world of Twitch that's out there generating billions of hours of watched content per month, same thing on YouTube, but there is they are really kind of archival and not necessarily the destination. There's no real curated way to engage in the category. And so, um, you know, just a little bit more on this, Ariel and I both saw the same opportunity is that you can create a TV network that has gone out and recognized the best content creators across this universe, taken this amazing production. I'm excited for Ariel to tell you about his experience and where he comes from, but take this wonderful TV production and help really elevate uh, the craft that people are doing in what's called a user-generated content manner and create TV behind it and then string it all together you know, create a TV network and allow a really safe space for brands and partners to advertise and, and reach these communities. Um, and so that's what we did. And that's, that's where we are now. Let me ask again, let me ask the basic question, because I understand, I know that there's a lot of viewing of people playing video games, people playing video games in tournament fashion. Um, but this is really from your slate. This is really lifestyle and entertainment shows for the people that like to that like video gaming enough to watch other people play it on on platforms. Um, this is if, yeah. This is if a, that's if I understand right. It is. This is a TV network for the streaming generation, okay. and Venn is a double entendre. It's the video game entertainment news network, but it really is the intersection of gaming, entertainment, music, pop culture, and really the generations. And that's the nexus where we live. Uh, I'll give Ariel a chance to get a word in edgewise on it. And Ariel, you are speaking to us from your Playa Vista, your studio in Playa Vista. Uh, sorry, Ariel, you are speaking to us from your studio in Playa Vista, where you have expansive facilities and you're raring to go. Yes, uh, we are. Yes. So we launch actually on August 5th, which if uh, which is next Wednesday, depending on when you're when you're listening to this podcast, maybe by the time you're listening, we've already launched. And we hope to get your feedback if you're watching. We hope you're enjoying the programs that we're putting out there. But yeah, I'm here and we are in rehearsals. We've got all of our shows. Are, we have 20 hours plus of fresh content that we're going to be putting out each week, which against uh, sort of the comp in the TV world exceeds most, if not all, of the networks. You know, if you look at the amount of entertainment programming, live entertainment programming we're creating, it, it stacks up really high. We've got a bunch of really interesting formats that both draw from the universes that Ben was describing of young people playing video games in a very raw, authentic way with the audience, which you might see in Twitch. We're elevating that format and curating it and distributing it back to those same networks and those platforms where the young people are. And Ben hinted at it a little bit, but the way TV is currently set up it's in a bit of a crisis because it can't follow its consumers, right? And that's a very basic concept that as demographies change, right? Young people have been uh, consuming content in a bunch, a bunch of ways. They're not only looking for short clips. They're not only looking to play video games. They're not only looking to watch movies, but they are consuming a lot of, of content. And so the, the, the version of TV that I, I see and Ben and I see is really, it's a, it's a more, uh, I guess you'd say it's a more gen generous kind of definition. It's transmitting uh, video and sound in a bunch of different platforms in a bunch of different ways. And so when you look at young people, they are really consuming a lot of content and they play lots of video games. They might go to the movies. They might um, binge watch on Netflix. 
they, they might have a second screen open on their phone or on a second monitor that's next to them. And so what we want to do is create an authentic version of content that they love and that they understand. And because we are not uh, sort of burdened, I guess you might say, by carriage fees and MFNs that exist in the traditional TV world, we could think about a TV network in a very new and novel way, right? So we can create content that is akin to what you might see on a traditional network but we can distribute it to the channels where gamers and where young people are. So we will be the first ever uh, 24-7 channel on Twitch, on YouTube, on Twitter, right? But we'll also be on connected TVs. We'll be on traditional MVPDs like like you might see on a, on a cable system, right? That is now shifting into a more digital form. We also will be on the VMVPDs, which are the skinny bundles, right? So we aspire to create content that is contemporary and that is natively interesting for this streaming generation, as Ben calls it. Uh, bring it, bring those creators onto our network, create a virtuous cycle with them. So we help to elevate the things that they do natively really well and where they've built audiences that, quite frankly, rival and exceed in some cases, uh, traditional TV hits in the demo, especially, and bring them onto our network and curate a whole slate of content for this audience. It sounds to me like you want to be something of a food network or HGTV that is sort of a destination. It's, it's a bit of comfort food. You may not go for a particular show, but you know what you're turning on when you get that channel. Is that, is that yeah. the thinking? Yeah, yeah that, that really is. So the way to look at the programming landscape, and I'm sure your audience knows this well as, as readers of Variety, is you've got essentially, you know, young skewing TV. You've got Disney, you've got Nickelodeon, you've got Cartoon Network. That really feels the, you know, the young demos, kind of preteen, et cetera. There's really a chasm of programming for Gen Z and millennials. You kind of look at the demos from the ESPNs or the Comedy Central, they've all kind of skewed up in age. Now, what you'll find is Gen Z and millennial type programming is intermittently dispersed across networks, right? So that's your Rick and Morty on Adult Swim. That's your Game of Thrones on HBO, Depending on which platform that you jump to, there are shows that tend to resonate well with those younger demos. What there is not is a network that is essentially a cultural flag bearer for these generations. You hearken back to MTV in the 90s, right? When people were gathering outside 1580s Broadway. Yeah, 80s, 90s. We're out there and VJs were all the thing. It was a cultural movement with music. That's where young folks were turning to get their news, their entertainment, and their pop culture information, et cetera, of what they love, right? There's just not that in today's day and age. I mean, MTV readily concedes that, you know, 110 hours of 100, you know, 40 or 50 possible hours of a week in programming are, are repeats of ridiculousness. And I actually happen to be a fan of that show. Um, but it's when you program a network with that scale of programming, it's, it's very different than going head on into creating as max amount of hours of live, original, unique, first run programming as you can. So to Ariel's point, we have more live, original programming per week than any other TV network. We've, we've done the math. MTV's at seven, Discovery's about 15, 16, A&E right there as well. We're starting with over 20 and migrating to 30. And then once we open up our New York studio, because we have two studios, one in Playa Vista in Los Angeles, the other one in New York at, at Three World Trade Center overlooking the Oculus. That is our kind of modern day homage to MTV and their studio in Times Square. We're very excited to create a bi-coastal programming set, which will be at over 50 hours a week. So we'll kind of be in a bit of rarefied air there. That sounds amazing, but it also sounds expensive. And as you said, you're not burdened with cable carriage fees. That's a heavy lift for, <clears throat> excuse me, that's a heavy lift 
for uh, purely advertising to support? How are you funding all of this? So, so I'll answer that kind of twofold, and then I'll kick it over to Ariel. So yep. it is expensive if your programming is procedurals that are scripted, that are big budget, on location, so on and so forth. And candidly, there's been so much TV invested into what is the next generation of a lawyer's show or this doctor that sees ghosts or kind of iteration on either you know medical, legal, whatever kind of scripted programming. Younger generations have really eschewed that really expensive, scripted, kind of no been there, done that type of programming in favor of live programming um, and programming that works really well in a studio system. That's why you see such thriving content on, on YouTube and, and on Twitch. And so what we've recognized is there's a world where we create TV in the tens of thousands of dollars per hour, not the hundreds of thousands of dollars per hour. And so our TV on average costs about 90% less on an hourly basis than what you see in traditional TV primetime. That said, it's already proven to pull massive numbers that rival what you see on primetime. I'm going to give you an example. We have a talent called Austin. He's amazing. He's essentially the Mark Burnett of what you see on Twitch. He creates game shows. He, you know, he pulls in wonderful, engaged audiences. And, and, and you know, we're just such big fans of his. So Austin will have a concurrent audience of 75,000 at one time on Twitch. So let's say you parse some of that out globally and say there's spillage outside of the demo. He's pulling, let's say, 30 to 40,000 in the demo. If you take a network that's a very big, you know, nationally syndicated network, let's go with, with Discovery. Discovery Network across all platforms, every single bit of pay TV, does about 60, 65,000 people in the demo in prime time. So on one platform, you've got a single individual who's pulling comparable numbers to what, you know, a Discovery Network is is pulling within the demo. And Discovery obviously generates hundreds of millions of dollars a year in revenue. And, and aims at a, at a different demo, but, but to your, your point is still valid. Yeah, so I guess to the point is, it aims to the higher demo as well as all the other networks aiming to the higher demo. So I, I should say it, the older demo, I misspoke. <laughs> older demo, That's, yeah, we'll make sure to get our nomenclature right. But yeah, I mean, to the point, if we can show what one platform someone can do and if we can help elevate that art, make it look like television. And by the way, my wife, she doesn't watch Twitch. She doesn't watch YouTube. She's assuredly not a gamer, except Animal Crossing every now and then. But And that will definitely qualify you as a gamer in today's day and age. But, you know, she watched previews of these shows. She goes, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is kind of like MTV's challenge meets Fear Factor with a kind of new twist for streamers. I'm like, yeah, that, that's what we're doing. She's like, I haven't seen this before. And that's the reaction we're trying to get to is this is a new breed of programming that people will understand and recognize and watch as familiar premium produced entertainment, but it will feel new and novel. And that may cover video games. That may cover music. We have a partnership with Proximity is one of the biggest EDM distribution channels on YouTube. They have almost 10 million subs. We're going to be creating unique and engaging music content. We've got pop culture celebrities coming in with movies, TV shows, et cetera. This is going to feel like premium TV for the younger generation. And that is our bet that it will draw the kinds of eyeballs across all platforms that advertisers are looking for in a brand safe manner. And again, with 90% less cost on the production side, and we think comparable revenue on that side, we think that's a um, not only a survivable business model, but what we think ultimately a very profitable one. And you have, if I understand right, you have distribution deals with Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook Gaming. Is that an, uh, a rev share or an ad inventory share? How do those deals work? So it, yeah. so it, will, it, it, so it varies. So it, it obviously varies. Uh, we, we have built an amalgam of TV, TV experience, uh, game experience, entertain experience at our company. And that's something that I think was part of the answer for the last question too. We we realize that there are certain 
core competencies that that you need to bring to the table to create a TV network. So our COO is the uh, former Discovery Channel COO and CFO. His name is Neil Kirsch. We've brought his entire pricing and planning team to the table. Our head of sales is from Facebook, a guy named Dave Eckenstein. Uh, is who's head of uh, he's our head of sales now, but he was with Facebook. He was at um, Bleacher Report, Sports, he was Buzzfeed, Bleacher, and yeah. even before that, he was he was in sales in, at Fox and NBC. So we have an incredibly refined, purposeful team that understands how to build uh, build media plans and how to actually sell TV. Now you look at what we're making. And we're making something that's an it's elusive in a lot of ways for advertisers. Let's just talk it through for a second. It's elusive because the demo is usually pretty pretty like fragmented and hard to find. It's elusive because of of some issues with brand safety, right? It's elusive because the digital platforms where the traditional TV networks they can, they cannot go there because of the shackles that they have with their MFNs and and their carriage fees. They're 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 kind of like not able to be there. And so what is left there in that space? Is something that's a little bit hard to understand for most brands, and they're not sure if they want to wade into the water and figure out like, do I want to invest in a specific UGC creator? Do I want to invest in in a team in esports? Where do I want to invest? So as we're looking at our business model, it's built very much on the back of natively understanding what the market likes. How do they like it? Like the you know little things like. Let the let the pacing be a little bit more more casual. Like you don't have to over format. You don't have to overproduce things because this audience that's built their sort of like taste buds on streaming content. They they real they're used to watching really long form content where they're engaging directly with the audience. You have to also really think about what does engagement look like on our network. And so when we were building our studio here, we invested almost exclusively in digital signage because we want to create. Um, interactive formats with the audience rather than building lots of scenic structures. I mean, there, there are just so many ways that you can, you can build affinity with, with gamers, but, but also distribute it in a very mature way that is comforting for, uh, for advertisers, right. That are, that are so, that are so focused on, um, on targeting gamers now, especially with COVID where there's, there's been this like a massive, uh, mainstream light shining down on gaming, right? When everyone's sort of inside, gaming numbers are up, right? Everyone's playing games. This is not really news to Ben and me, but it has been further validation for our business model, which is which is like create authentic content for this market, <clears throat> make it in a way that's palatable for them, and really easy for for investing. I want to, yeah, I want to get back <laughs> specifically to your question about distribution because. This is a very big component, and it's the way that we've gone into structuring our business. With any TV network, with ABC, for instance, go take your phone out. Go to abc.com. The first question you're going to be asked is, please authenticate with your TV provider, right? That is a fundamental roadblock to access. And that is the unfortunate downside of the way that the TV business models were constructed, which are twofold. It is an ad inventory share model. So it's what's called national airtime. Right, and the networks sell those national airtime on their own, all you know, every day, week, et cetera. That's what upfronts are. There is then platform or local or affiliate time to where regional broadcasters, whether it's your Comcast, whether it's a Samsung Smart TV, et cetera, will take a share of inventory and they will turn around and sell that inventory on their own. So you could be watching a feed on a platform like Vizio or Samsung, and you would see an ad that comes from a national AirPod. The next AirPod, the next commercial pod, you may see an ad that Samsung sold specifically for that platform. 
So we understand and accept that model, and that is the backbone of what we're doing. However, TV is also set up with what, what's called a sub-fee model, where essentially it's like, okay, you know, Spectrum or Comcast, et cetera, pay us for, you know, per sub to be able to have the right to carry our content. Right. The problem that's happened in television is these distributors say, hey, we don't have the money to pay your ever-increasing sub-fees. Right? <laughs> so this is highly problematic. And TV networks are going, fine, well, don't carry us. And that essentially is mutually assured destruction. So what happened is with those deals, they have what are called MFN or most favored nation clauses. Right. What that means is if I charge Spectrum X cents mm-hmm. per and I charge Comcast less, Spectrum then drops down to the Comcast level, right? Right. What you right. Can't creates do, all kinds of havoc. And, creates yes. all kinds of havoc. But what you assuredly cannot do is take your feed and then make it free. And that is, that is the crux of the issue now with television is younger demographics, consumption patterns have migrated across different platforms. With any industry, whether you're in fossil right. fuels and you're selling We're seeing gasoline. the largest entertainment players have to plow billions into re-engineering mm-hmm. their operations to to reach that demo and and still that you know the the death screen of authentication is still for you know in many cases that you know is, is that first thing that you have to get through and it's the it's a big turnoff as the kids I, I love the screen of death analogy so so what's happening just to kind of round out this mm-hmm. point is from a bottoms up perspective in any business if it's fossil fuels you're thinking wow I'm seeing the world of electric cars pick up I'm going to diversify my acquisitions into electricity and renewable energy because that is needs to ensure the survivability of our business. So what buggy whips may be falling out of fashion. Buggy whips may be falling out of fashion. <laughs> and so what, what we realized is that because consumption patterns are migrating to platforms like, you know, a Pluto or a Stir or Zumo or Mixer or Samsung or Vizio or wherever, we need to be flexible in our business model architecture to be able to live on those platforms. And the way you do that is by keeping the good stuff which is the inventory share for per platform, giving up the sub fees, but making up for it ultimately in A, a higher CPM, which is the rate at which you charge advertising and, and frankly, more scale. And so ultimately we believe that we will be carried on more platforms than any TV network. Like Ariel mentioned, we are the first TV network to be broadcast live on Twitter. Uh, that's entertainment. I know Cheddar kind of did it in the post cable model, their millennial financial news. We believe that we're tacking into a much bigger audience with gaming and pop culture. Um, we'll be the first network on YouTube, we'll be the first TV network on Twitch that carries the exact same feed everywhere, real time. You just go to Venn.tv and you're watching our network. And ultimately, when brands want to hit scale and they want to hit as much of the demo as possible, it won't be how many platforms are you carried on, it will be we're carried everywhere. Let's not t- now talk about viewership. Let me ask you, are there any instances in which you are paying for carriage? No. No. That's not in the business model. But it's not, I mean, not in the business model, nor in any single deal that we have struck today, that the models are all inventory share and they all vary on a per platform basis, but we have our national inventory. So when you're watching, you'll see our, our commercials that we sell internally, and then you'll have local inventory that's sold on a per platform basis. I know you have a few deals. You have some deals with connected TVs, you know, to be directly on their, on their home hubs. What would you say is harder working at a deal with a Twitch or a Twitter or YouTube? or working at a deal with a Samsung or a TV set manufacturer? I, I mean, personally, this is, yeah, this has been an amazing process with the, the TV manufacturers, and it's been a wonderful process with all the different platforms. There is an, uh, a rush to grab quality content. We're filling a hole. 
that's needed. Um, everyone has been equally, we'd say, uh, willing and an awesome partner. Some bigger organizations take a little bit longer. That's why we'll be announcing some of the bigger platforms that we'll be on here in the coming months because it's a little harder to close those deals by launch, but they're there. Um, and when you hear about them, you realize, oh, okay, well, that that's exciting and big news. And I understand why that deal would take longer than you know a, a more nimble platform. But mm-hmm. yeah. I would I would just put it this way too, and it, and it gets down to a little bit of a segmentation discussion. But when you look at gaming, gaming is massive, right? It's this hundred and fifty billion dollar industry, right? When when we think about gamers traditionally, we're really it's really shorthand for like competitive gamers, kind of like that black licorice loving kind of. You know, you might say like League of Legends, they, they're deep into the cosplay world. They're like maybe internet trolls, so to speak, et cetera. That's, that's kind of like an old school version of what gaming actually is, right? So that's, that's a lot of what you might see on, on Twitch and the streaming platforms right now. But if you look at the demography, actually, and we did a segmentation study with Colin Neese, who is our, our head of insights, who came from Twitch. He, he found that that's actually only about a third of the audience. So another third is really what we call it casual gamers that are playing this Animal Crossing. They're into Marvel. They are super into like the K-pop and using social media and TikTok. And they they are more maybe on, on YouTube. Then there's a whole other group that's about 30% that are elder millennials, which are a little bit older. They have jobs. They have kids now. They have you know responsibilities and air quotes. But they still really identify with the console wars, right? They've been there from the beginning. They have a deep pride in the sense of kind of like I've completed, you know, hundred-hour games, you know, X, Y, and Z. When you say Zelda, they they could have like a TED talk about it, <laughs> right? You know, and so even I know what, what that is. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. So so what what we are hoping to do with our distribution is not just acquire more eyes. I mean, that's only a small part of the reason to do this, right? It's to be where all of the potential consumers are. And because the media landscape is shifting so quickly, we want to be as facile and as integrated with a TikTok or a Snap as we are with Twitter or or Facebook, right? Or as we are with connected TVs. And we're going to find, and I think we'll see after we launch, it, I hope our, our suspicions are correct that we're actually hitting these different segments in a very unique and novel way that satisfies an audience that maybe didn't even understand or didn't follow the, the, the movement in streaming, right? Didn't follow kind of Twitch and, and how that, that whole thing had, had sort of progressed. And that's okay because we're trying to destigmatize gaming at large, right? We're trying to, we're trying to, you know, sort of like push off the notion of this like monotype type of persona that, that is per- perceived by some about gamers, right? It's all about celebrating the things that you love. For us, it's about shining light onto, in some cases, niche passion and really bringing it out in our content. And it's giving a platform to, to really be civically minded in certain respects without proxy, you know, virtue proxying and saying like the world needs to change. Young people are where that change is going to happen. And we have the ability with our platform, even in COVID, even in strange times, to make a big difference. And so we feel like by putting together the right type of content creators, building the right type of authentic trust with them, and then distributing in a novel way where we can move with the consumers, unlike you know, the, the more aged industries, that we stand a real chance of, of building you know, something to last. And that's, that's exciting. That's deeply exciting as an entrepreneur. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs are probably listening to this. And I, I just want to speak, speak to that, that you, know, that, that you, can, <clears throat> you can go out there and make make something from scratch that that can hopefully make a difference. Let me ask you about the content operation. How are you going to balance the 
user gen nature of this that is going to appeal to the audience, to the target audience with the concerns about brand safety and the need to present it, you know, to present, to present pro programming rather than people just kind of riffing. So I, I can hit that one. And Ben, you probably have some thoughts on this clearly, but I think it's, I think it's partially about understanding what your brand stands for in any, any sense, right? You need to know what does my brand stand for? And for us, we are trying to actively push back on bullying, internet, sort of internet bullying, um, you know, some of the stereotypes that, that exist in gaming that, um, you know, and hiding behind an anonymous sort of shield or wall while you're playing games and you start to act out and all this, we're trying to push back on that. So it starts with us knowing that about our brand. And then when we select those partners that we want to work with, whether it's creators or, or partner brands, you select for the telegenics, you select for their audience, of course, and their affinity with the market. But you, you select them knowing what you're getting, right? And so there's a wide spectrum of different types of creators out there. Some of them are, yeah, quite toxic. And we, we are not interested in working with them. Some of them are legitimately, you know, um, making content that, that is, um, you know, is really authentic. And, and, and we see them that they're on the come up. And we want to mutually invest in, in creating content together. And we support the thing they do. So just to kind of make sure that, that everyone who's listened to this understands it, you might say, well, are you competitors with Twitch? No, not at all, right? We work with Twitch creators. We're distributed on Twitch. They sell our inventory, by the way. <clears throat> and when they have content that they create on their platform, we say, give us, give us one day of your content a week. Uh, we will cross-promote you. You will still be with your current audience because of the way that Twitch has their distribution and, and it's kind of like a modern version of syndication, they can actually stream to their audience and then project it over to, to our channel through, through the way that it works on Twitch. And we can then take their content and distribute it more widely. So if they are feeling like they're hitting a glass ceiling or they're feeling like they're getting tired of creating the same type of gameplay content every day, we can work with them and give them producers and, and modern graphics tools and a studio in some cases to create some new stuff that will make them excited and feel like they're growing as creators. So again, to get back to your question, you know, are we worried about brand safety? I think we, we are going to succeed in being authentic and resonant for the audience. So we want to, and we, we do have an SMP person, by the way, I just talked to them today. So we're creating rules of course, then there's some like strictly very, very dark red lines, right? Like, you know, human rights and like hate speech and all this kind of stuff. We also want to be natively natural for the audience. And so that's going to be a line. But I, I think actually we might be slightly more open to, you know, the, the speaking, frankly, or whatever. But at the same time, we're going to be so by and far the most brand safe uh, product that's ever existed in this, in this vernacular that I think our partners are going to be super happy that we're being authentic. Do you have any launch partners, sponsor advertising launch partners lined up yet that you can disclose? Yeah. I mean, the reason you're hearing uh, Ariel's phone go off is we've got our ad sales team. We just closed back-to-back deals. Ariel, you may want to put it on mute because I think it's it's a good thing and a bad thing for an interview (laughs) to have your phone on. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, As I mentioned in Variety, uh, we signed a very large category exclusive deal we'll be announcing in the coming weeks. It was actually just shy of $10 million a year. Um, it's a, a very exciting partnership and we've signed many, many individual deals. All of those deals are going to be revealed on, on both kind of a rolling basis and as per our, our mutual announcements. What has become unbelievably clear 
is that this is a white space that advertisers are looking to put their money into. Um, and there are a lot of brands who need this very pivotal uh, Gen Z and millennial audience and don't have means to access them. Um, we have got national QSR brands, global tech brands, um, lifestyle brands, you name it, across category, telco, so on and so forth. And so you'll see some of those at launch. You'll see some of those rolling out throughout the year. Um, big opportunity here. And, and we're starting to see that reflect in the marketplace. It's very exciting for us. How much to date have you raised uh, to, to launch Ben? Our, our seed series raise was uh, $17 million. As we talk here today, you are six days out from launch. By the time this airs, you'll probably be six days or more past launch. But as we talk today, six days out, what is keeping you both up at night? What is, what is the thing that you're angsting about most as you, get, as you get close to launch? I don't think there's any one thing. I think it's all the things, right? <laughs> if, if an entrepreneur isn't up worrying or looking over their shoulder or you know, checking it, crossing every T and dotting every I, then you're, not, you're doing something wrong. So I think ultimately, Ariel, and my goal is, are we creating resonant entertainment that people enjoy watching? I think if that is your first goal, it's really the content. It's not the business economics. It's, you know, revenue is a byproduct, you know, doing the right thing uh, in a way that engages with an audience and all that. We're, we're really worried about making sure this TV is, is good TV. Um, and, you know, that's what we hope. Day one, people can see that. I hope people are patient with us. Launching a network is not easy, especially in the time frame we did it. So for us, it's really listening to the feedback when it goes live, being out there on Twitter, being out there on Twitch, engaging in chat hearing the feedback and doing our best to incorporate uh, that back into our program and to give ultimately the best product to, to the audience. Well, it will be interesting to see what the Venn diagram looks like in <laughs> six months, 12 months time. Good luck to you. I admire anybody that, that is putting this much into chasing a big dream. Thank you both for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Cynthia. Thanks for listening. Be sure to leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. We love to hear from listeners. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business. Strictly Business.